Let's do it. Are y'all ready? All right. I'm ready to go. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs here, as always, with Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Well, hi. How are things? They are good, and I'm very excited to have a third person join us tonight because, Dan, it's been great talking to you all these months, but it's time to shake it up a little bit. Time to get ready for training camp to get started. And to do that, we got to bring in a little extra help. So why don't you introduce Sean? Uh, you know, one of the blog boys, one of the great ones, my guy, Sean Hyken, who is actively covering the NBA for Bleacher Report, Portland local, has been on the beat for the Chicago Bulls. Sean, thanks for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Tara, you really didn't have to lie and say that it was great talking to Dan by yourself the whole yeah, time. Yeah, really, uh, <laughs> like, like I like I could like that was very that was very unconvincing the, the way you did that. Really? <laughs> huh? Yeah, so it's gonna no, be like this, yeah. huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What did you think when you brought him on? <laughs> I don't know. The last time I wasn't on the podcast, you had him on, and that's, uh-huh. it's been a while. But we're ready to get started tonight. And one of the reasons that I was excited to bring in somebody else, because you and I, this time last week, Dan, were confused enough as it was about the Timberwolves, and things haven't gotten any clearer. So we got to find well, yeah, out if anybody else a- has an idea what's going on. Yeah, let's go back a week. Like we said that, hey, this this meeting that's coming up is going to make or break what happens to the Timberwolves. Like if they figured it out, there would be some repercussions, but they'd find a way to get it done. And if they didn't, it was going to like go full apocalypse. Well, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> apocalypse now, baby. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to devolve into, you know, the dark side of the NBA locker room kind of leaking out into the public eye. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it went from zero to 100 real, real quick. And the, I guess the uh, unique aspect here is that Sean has covered both Jimmy and Tibbs in the past, so he's got some perspective on both those guys. Um, and uh, and as working as a uh, reporter in the world, you, you kind of hear some of the things that, that go on in the uh, the back channels of, of of the social life, so we can kind of expand upon some of the things we maybe we've seen on social media over the last week too. So this is gonna be this is gonna be an interesting. Uh, Interesting next couple days. Um, yeah, let's put a little context the, just, just in, like, where we are in time right now. It's Sunday evening. It's because any like everything could change tomorrow, or everything could change in an hour. So like as, of, as of what we know right now, how about let's see? I'll give Sean the opportunity. Like, su- can you summarize where we are in this story right now as we're talking about what is going on with the Timberwolves? Not that I want this to be a Timberwolves podcast, but we just, this is just too rich to not talk about. Well, so there's been rumblings the whole summer and even dating back into last season that Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns didn't exactly get along last year, which was Jimmy's first year in Minnesota. You know, they make the playoffs for the first time since 2004, and so people kind of see the season as a success, but then, you know, they get bounced in the first round by Houston pretty quickly, and then there's kind of these reports of this tension between them, and it's kind of awkward because Jimmy's going to be a free agent next summer, and Towns has this super max you know, five-year, $190 million extension that he could sign. And so, like, it, it, it you know, that's it, it, kind of like this subplot that's that's going on, but, you know, everybody kind of assumes that they're going to figure it out because uh, Jimmy Butler is a Tom Thibodeau guy because, you know, they, they were together in Chicago for all those years. Uh, and, and then, uh, so, early last week, uh, Jimmy Butler meets with Tom Thibodeau in L.A. It was originally going to be in Minnesota, but he made Tom fly out to L.A., to talk about the future. And that ended with basically Jimmy saying, I don't want to resign here. I want to be traded. And he gave him a list of three teams, which are the Clippers, the Knicks and the Nets that he wants to be traded to. And then, you know, Thibodeau, because this is how he is, he's not the kind of guy who is going to want to, uh, you know, trade a one of his guys. Cause he and Jimmy go so far back to those Chicago years. He doesn't want to trade one of his guys. And he also doesn't want to get worse in the short term because he's also kind of trying to fight for his own job. And so, uh, you know, he's resistant to it. But now kind of where we are is, you know, he requests a trade. Andrew Wiggins' brother tweets hallelujah. And then that gets into like a back and forth between Andrew Wiggins and his brother Nick and Steven Jackson on Instagram for some reason. Yeah, how did Steven Jackson get involved in all of this? 
I because he's he Captain Jack and he can do what he wants. He was just bored and decided he wanted to get on Instagram and make. He, you know what he basically is like. You know how like whenever like it, you know those like videos that are like reaction videos that, like people put up on YouTube where it's like like Eminem disses uh, Machine Gun Kelly. This is my reaction video and it's just some dude talking about it. That's basically what Steven Jackson is now. He's a vlogger. And, he, and so, ESPN gave him this license, like by yeah, no, putting him great. on TV, so, they they gave him this license to do this. Right, and, and so then and so then Wiggins puts out like his his response on his uh his Instagram story, and then Steven Jackson comes out with his own response when he blows like a whole bunch of weed smoke before he talks <laughs> about how like like I'll catch you in traffic, make sure you're come correct or or, or whatever, and then. <laughs> A couple days later, Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Timberwolves, basically steps in and, like, because Thibodeau had been, like, Thibodeau and Scott Layton had been telling teams, no, Jimmy's not available, we're not going to trade him. And Glenn Taylor steps in and is like, no, uh, we don't want this hanging over us the whole season. Get this done now. And so now, basically, and then in the midst of all this, Carl Anthony Towns signs his, uh, his Supermax extension. Which is the pettiest thing imaginable. Right. Basically, and, I, and I love it. Yeah, as, literally as soon as Glenn Taylor steps in and says, you know, we have to trade Jimmy now, Carl Towns is like, okay, yeah, I'll sign for all this guaranteed money that I was never going to turn down regardless of how it That's Cat works. saying, hey, hey, Glenn, it's him or me. It's him or me. Like, he basically right. went with the ultimatum. There, and as soon as he got his answer, he's like, okay, it's me. Let me sign. Right, <laughs> right. And so, now, and so now we're basically at, you know, media day is tomorrow. You know, I, whenever you guys put this out, I think you guys are putting this out like around the time media day starts. But Jimmy Butler is not going to be at media day. He's been given permission to skip media day. He's been given permission to skip the beginning of training camp because if he's there, it's just going to be awkward. And so I think the thought is that they're hoping to get a deal done sometime in the next few days so that, that it's, it's a little of a distraction as possible. And then you kind of – I don't really know like what the market is for him right now. It seems like there's a lot of teams bidding for it. But, like, Miami has kind of come up a lot. Uh, the Clippers, you think, are going to be involved. You know, the Knicks were on his list, but I don't think the Knicks are really going to give up a lot. Uh, at this point, because they feel like they can just sign in this summer, but you know there are going to be some other dark horse teams involved. But it's it just it's a whole mess. It's 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 really something. Um, I've so many questions and, and so many thoughts on it. But one of the questions that I have for you, Sean, is: Have you in all in the years that you've been covering the league, like, can you? Have you been around, like, what's the most dis- dysfunction you've been around? I mean, this seems, like, pretty high for the people who are trying to follow what is going on with this team. Can you recall other similar situations? Well, as far as teams that I've covered, uh, the, by far the most dysfunctional one was uh, two seasons ago, which is my last year on the Bulls beat, the 2016-17 season, which was the Rondo Wade Butler year. They, they, this is uh, in January of that they blew a 10-point lead in the final three minutes of the game to the Hawks. And then after the game, Dwayne Wade in the locker room basically says, uh, you know, some of these guys have to decide whether they want to win. Basically just like he rips all of the young players on the team. And Jimmy is like listening to him at the edge of the scrum while we're in. And then we go to Jimmy. And Jimmy basically says all the exact same stuff as Wade. It's like it's almost like they like premeditated like what their talking points were gonna be with each other. Basically, just like systematically saying that all the other young guys, you know, on the team just don't want it enough and aren't you know true competitors and all this stuff. And so then, you know, over the course of that night, you know, some of the young guys like Jerry and Grant and Isaiah Cannon and Bobby Portis are like tweeting in defense of themselves uh, in. Uh, <laughs> You know, in, in you know, in, you know, over, over the night, basically, because they kind of heard what those guys said, and then the next day, Rajon Rondo puts out an Instagram post that's of him, a picture of him with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce from when they were on the Celtics together, and it was this whole thing about like my vets didn't call out their teammates and pass the blame off, like it was like it was a whole thing. He basically just ripped Jimmy and Wade for uh, <laughs> for uh, uh, basically for ripping all the young guys, and. Then, you know, the next morning at shoot-around, Jimmy and Wade both kind of came out and said, you know, we shouldn't have done this through the media or whatever. They all kind of deflected it. And Rondo comes out and he's like, yeah, I said what I said. I don't hide from any of it. I, 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 don't, I don't regret any of it, which was just the most classic Rondo response. And then that night, uh, Hoiberg uh, says, you know, we're going to punish these guys. Uh, they're going to uh, – Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade aren't going to start. And so they don't start. But then they come off; they just come off the bench at like five minutes, and then they play their normal minutes the rest of the rotation. It was like really the it was not a good look really for anybody except for Rondo. Rondo's the only guy that came out of that whole thing looking good. So, 
I don't recall uh, hearing much about that team afterwards. So, I mean, that, that team did not flourish under <laughs> under those situations. They Well, they made the playoffs. They they would have beaten the Celtics in the first round as the, as the eighth seed if Rondo hadn't broken his thumb. So do you think that... That was the weirdest team. Do you think that, that this beef that played out, do you think it affected on court? Hello, can you guys hear me? Uh, I can now. Okay. I thought maybe that was a terrible question to ask. <laughs> no, no, start that question. Start, start the question. No, you, you, you cut out for a second. Oh. Start the question again. Okay. So uh, do you think that that carried out, this beef carried out on the court? In the short term, it did. But that Bulls team was so inconsistent anyway. And that roster was so poorly constructed. Like, they thought that Rajon Rondo, Jimmy Butler, and Dwayne Wade would somehow all be able to fit together. And they had nobody... Also, they had like no other playable point guards besides Rondo. That that was that was a, that was just a weird year all around. I, I don't know if I'll ever cover a team weirder than that one. <laughs> this uh, 2019 Timberwolves is starting off pretty weird too. And I just I want to make it clear that I'm not like I feel really bad for the people who are Minnesota fans, and so I'm not laughing at them. I'm just this whole situation is so ridiculous and it's so much like it's so typical of the nba that at any moment we could be all of a sudden blindsided by some crazy story just like this you know what i mean it's like i feel like we're always sort of right on the edge like every fan base is sort of always right on the edge of something just going completely sideways like we never would have predicted this you know what happened to san antonio happening to them and if it can happen to san antonio it can happen to anything anybody Okay, so basically the, the whole idea of that Bulls team, that 2016-17 Bulls team that you, you covered, Sean, I mean, that team was kind of a throwaway team. It was kind of a transition year, whereas this uh -huh. Minnesota team was – they're supposed to be building towards something. Like Jimmy was supposed to be the guy that they had the foundation upon that provided the things that, that Wiggins was probably, in all honesty, supposed to provide uh, alongside Cat. And, I mean, they gave up Dunn. They gave up Markkinen. They gave up um, – Levine, Levine. Like they, if they lose lose Butler for scraps here, and th that's the thing, is because this is such a complete and utter disaster piece, the Timberwolves have zero leverage. Like the the, the way that Jimmy has manipulated the situation, that they the Timberwolves, the the fact that they are going to get even a decent player out of this will be impressive. Now, the most like prominent name that I've heard thrown around kind of not so quietly is, is Richardson from Miami. And that would be a good get like Richardson's a nice player. He projects going forward to be a Butler esque kind of player. I don't know if he'll ever hit the star quality kind of, of level, but that's a tear down from like, you know, say a Portland offering a CJ McCollum. And that's why I, I, I've heard that Portland's involved, but CJ's not on the table. I don't and feel I don't like think, in a situation I think like this, this, you offer CJ. Like you just no, said. No, you don't. Like, <laughs> Minnesota's Jimmy got Butler no power. Top, Jimmy Butler is a top 10 to 12 player in the league. You you put CJ McCollum on the table if that if that's the kind of guy that you're getting. Even if it's a, you know, it, it's... You know, if you were Portland, if you were going to make that trade, it would kind of be the same gamble that the Raptors just made in trading for Kawhi Leonard. Basically, they're going to, you know, they just, you know, really just ran back the team that they had had for all those years. They had a really good regular season and then fizzled out in the playoffs. And then uh, they, you know, they basically said, OK, we're going to take a swing. We're going to trade our, you know, beloved, you know, one of our franchise guys for Kawhi Leonard. He didn't say he wants to resign here, but we're going to see if it works. If he resigns long term, great. We'll keep going forward with this core. If not, maybe we'll just blow it up and rebuild. I feel like with the Blazers, the play would be you you take a huge gamble, you trade uh, CJ for Jimmy Butler because otherwise you're running back with basically the same team that you had last year, except you don't have Ed Davis anymore. You have like what Steph Cur or Seth Curry and uh, who else do they sign? They signed somebody else this summer. You have uh, Stauskas. Yeah, Stauskas, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that, like that, like that's your team. Like your your ceiling is basically, you know, what they were last year, which is a decent regular season team that loses in the first round. So if you trade for a guy like Jimmy Butler, he fits better next to Damian Lillard because he's a better defender. You know, you can play him in some interesting combinations with like Aminu mm -hmm. and in the front court. You can play Jimmy at some four if you want to, and you know, he's another guy who can make plays. Uh, like it's it, it would be it would be an interesting fit. So you take that gamble on him deciding that he wants to stay if he decides to leave then maybe you look at okay do we trade dame and rebuild 
that would kind of be the, the gamble that you make. Now, I'm not at all surprised that Neil Olshay is not interested in trading CJ for this because then, you know, the downside of if this doesn't work, then he would have to, uh, you know, he would, he would maybe have to rebuild. He doesn't want to do that. But if Portland is involved and, and CJ isn't on the table, like what, what is the trade? Like, like I know, I know Jimmy's value isn't very high right now because the Wolves have no leverage with Glenn Taylor basically coming out and saying you have to trade in the next couple of days. But like, what are, what are they going to trade? Like Evan Turner and Myers Leonard for J- like, no, no, there's, 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 no. there's no trade that makes sense at all for the Timberwolves. that doesn't involve CJ. Both and from, here, here, here's the thing. from a talent standpoint. I, I'm totally on, on board the, with the idea of CJ for Butler makes sense. Talent wise, um, the shape of the team, all, all that, all that stuff. But I don't think if you're Portland, you go to the Timberwolves with CJ. Like, I don't think you, you, I don't think you need to to make the Godfather offer. I think you need to understand. And, and, and the, the GMs, I mean, they're talking. They know what offers are on the table. So I, I think you you start, you know, with with the appetizer. I mean, you got to see. You, you don't come with the best offer right out. Of the, like, like oh, for somebody like not, Kawhi, right. I, I could, I can, I can see that that happening. Because obviously Kawhi's younger, and he, I mean he's a better player than, than Jimmy. I mean Jimmy's a fantastic player, but yeah, Kawhi. I, I mean you you start with the you know if Kawhi's on the table, you start with CJ. Like I, I get that the younger, better, all all the things that go along with that. But um, if you're Portland, like I don't think it's a great package, but I think they could put a package together of Harkless and Minu, one of the young kids, and a first round pick. And I think Minnesota has to at least listen, depending on what else is on the table. If if Miami's offering Winslow, um, Richardson first, and then the salary filler necessary to make that work, that's probably a better package because Richardson's got the, the most upside probably of, of anybody that I've heard mentioned so far. Um, but like I said, I don't feel like the 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 grand offers are out there, and I don't. And I, I look at it more like how OKC and Indiana work their deal, where Oladipo is the Richardson in this case where you're looking at the, at a young kid or younger guy who's got a ton of upside who maybe in Minnesota flourishes. And who also already signed a big contract. So he's locked up. Long yeah. Term. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it looks like a, a, that's the kind of deal that Minnesota is probably going to opt for. But I, I think Portland could at least get Minnesota to go, okay, I'm listening. But beyond that, I'm not certain that they have really the, uh, the ammunition to really make anything happen without adding CJ. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And I'm, and I, I don't, I don't think that the Blazers would end up, you know, putting CJ. I just, I just don't think like, I agree. Like, I think if it gets to the point where, you know, they, they make that first offer, like you talk about this base around like Aminu and Harkless and whatever else. And the Timberwolves are like, okay, maybe. And then they go to Miami and they get a better deal with Richardson and Winslow and a pick or whatever. And then mm-hmm. they come back to Neil and they say, okay, you know, we'll do it with you. If you put in CJ, I still think Neil ultimately would say no, because CJ's his guy. Yeah. And he doesn't like to trade his guys. No, I, I don't disagree. I just think that if Minnesota is in a position and let's say Portland does swap, maybe, maybe Glenn Taylor opts and says, you know what? It's, it's a, we want to move on from Jimmy, get a decent amount of talent return, but more importantly, we want to move. If we're moving Jimmy, we want to move off from Dang's contract. If if Portland's willing to take uh, Gorgie back and swap for Myers to eat another year, but to get Jimmy, I mean, I think that's a riskier play to keep CJ and to eat that money because then you're going into luxury tax. Gorgie Dang is also a better player than Myers Leonard, though. No, I, I'm not. Just, I'm not disagreeing with that. But you're also going to pay what five and a half or six million more a year. And then you've got to look at what it's going to cost to pay Jimmy going forward. So you're going to have Dame, CJ, and Jimmy all at 25-plus mil a year. So you're going to have 75 to $80 million tied up in those three guys. Like that only lasts one year, scary. right, though? Because Jimmy would only be here for one more year, right? Unless, well, unless, unless decide, Portland was able to yeah. sign him for, what, $190 million? Okay, do you guys, do y'all think that he's going to get that next year? Oh, he will. He'll Somebody will. Somebody will. He'll get it. I, I, I wouldn't want to be the team that gives it to him, but he'll get it. So that's – tell me a little bit more about that, the, about that contradiction there. Like why will somebody give, him, give it to him if you, don't, if you don't think that he's – I mean, it's not – I don't want to say worth it, but like things are a little – seem a little risky right now, especially right. with his age. Right now, Jimmy Butler is absolutely worth 
all the money that you can possibly give him. He's a top, you know, 10 to 12 player in the league. He's a two-way threat. He, you know, he's one of the best wing defenders in the league. He's a first law option on offense. All of that. He is, I think he's 29 now. He's he's almost yeah. 30. If you look at the history of guys who have played a lot of minutes under Tom Thibodeau and just kind of, you know, in that in that kind of environment, guys, you know, Luol Deng, Joakim Noah, you know, th- those types of guys. When they get on their third contract, they don't age well. So it would be a situation where you give Jimmy that five-year deal. The first two years are going to be great because he's still going to be this max guy playing at this level. And then the last two or three years of the deal, it's going to get kind of ugly because you're going to be paying him forty million mm-hmm. or, or you know thirty-five to forty million for his ages, you know thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five seasons, and that, that that's going to get a little ugly. That's the part of it that I would not feel great about. But the other the other thing is like the, the other side of it is like if you're a team like the Knicks or the Nets or the Clippers that don't really get big free agents, and you can get a guy like Jimmy Butler who is, you know, at, as of right now, a top 10 or 12 player in the league. It's, it, it's kind of the same it's, it's kind of the same dilemma that, uh, that the Rockets had when they were re-signing Chris Paul or, you know, when, when the, when the uh, Grizzlies were re-signing Mike Conley a couple of years ago, where if you're a team like that, you know, you're not going to get anybody better than that, you know, in free agency. So if you, can, if you can sign the guy, you deal with the back end of the contract being, you know, not aging well to get the guy who's really good right now if you're trying to win right now. And if you're the Blazers, like Damian Lillard has three years left on his deal. After this year, he'll have two years left on his deal. You want him to be happy long-term. And the way to make him happy long-term is to say, look, we're serious. We're going to pay Jimmy Butler to stick around. We're going to spend money to stay competitive while you're in this window. Because then maybe he'll want to sign an extension because you don't want Dame to end up just, you know, deciding he wants a trade and, you, and him wanting to leave. Like that, like that, that's kind of how it works. Let me ask one more question about the uh, the Blazers and the Timberwolves possibly doing some kind of a deal. Do you think that they okay. would really um, uh, deal within their own division, like in that big of like that making that big of a move, like even within this already totally brutal division? They you don't know want to. I think they would prefer not to, but I also like I I really just I I'm never a fan of the whole uh, saying oh guys don't want to trade within their division or they don't want to trade with you're gonna make the best I mean this is what I was saying when you know when all the Kawhi stuff was going on when when it was like the report was that he only wanted to go to the Lakers the Lakers didn't really have any incentive to make a real offer for him. But, you know, there was this talk going around that, oh, the Spurs don't want to trade with the Lakers. They don't want to trade. If the Spurs, if the Lakers had put, like, Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram on the table, I think, I think Kawhi Leonard would be on the Lakers right now. I think, yeah. Like, it, like if, you're, if you're a team and you're trading away a guy, you can't worry about, like, you know, if you're, if you're the t- it, it, it's just like, you know, you, you, know you, you can't worry about, like, oh, who's he going to? Uh, you know, you can, you, your only job is to worry about who you're getting back. Now, as far as not wanting to trade, I realize it's kind of not the same thing because it's more of a personal thing and it's more of like and, – and they weren't in the same conference. But I was shocked when the Bulls traded Jimmy to the Timberwolves in the first place just because of how ugly things were at the end between Bulls management and Tibbs. And it was just like there's no way – like if, if the Bulls are going to you know trade Jimmy, that means that they're going to admit that they, you know the roster that they put together was flawed and it wasn't going to contend. And so they're going to start their rebuild by giving their best player to the guy that they hate and they fired under really ugly circumstances. And that trade ended up happening because it was the best deal that the Bulls had on the table for Jimmy at the time. No, Dan. Do you have any more questions about the anything else? Anything else you want to discuss about the Jimmy Butler situation? Uh, not really, just because it's such a weird situation, and there is it's a so little volatile. bit of personal. Well, not only that, there is some personal stuff I think still between the Timberwolves and the Blazers. Um, so if you if you think back, there were some some lawsuits and things. Oh, um, they mean like all the Martel the Martel Webster's. Yeah. Wait, can like, you there's... explain a little bit what lawsuits? Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You take this one, Sean. The 2010 draft, uh, when th- this was the year that Kevin Pritchard was told he was fired right before the draft, <laughs> okay. and Paul Allen still made it to the draft, which is one of which is one of the un- most under like that like that doesn't get talked about enough anymore as like one of the weirdest <laughs> things about it, but. Uh, but anyway, so that so that draft, uh, 
he trades Martel Webster to the Timberwolves for, I think, the number, what, like 13, 14, whatever, whatever pick it was, they took Luke Babbitt with that pick. And then after all of that, uh, ha- and you know, then after that trade went down, like later on that summer, like it turned out that Martel Webster was going to have to have back surgery. And so then you know, the people with the Timberwolves were accusing the Blazers of being misleading with his medicals and selling them damaged goods on purpose. And that was a whole thing. And then I think the fact that, uh, I think the, another part of this also, like there was more, there was more stuff later on, like a couple of years later when, uh, the Timberwolves gave that offer sheet to Nicholas Batum that uh-huh. uh, Portland ended up, ended up matching. But like, that was, that was a thing where like, and where did Brandon Roy go? Yeah. Brandon Roy. That was the other one. I was going to bring up that same summer. Like he goes, Soda when and that kind of messes with you know his, his medical retirement with the amnesty money and all that and like uh-huh. and, and, and their insurance is ability to pay it off so there is some history but I I don't think at this point that that would really factor into it like I I think I think if the Blazers come with the best offer for Jimmy Butler then the Timberwolves aren't going to not take the best offer they can because because I mean this is such a disaster for the Timberwolves already just with the way everything played out they, they need a win right. Right, and I mean, if you get a guy like C.J. McCollum, like let's say that you know the Blazers end up coming with C.J., I don't think that's going to happen because we, as we talked about, I don't think Neil's going to do that. But let's say that is what comes out of it. That's about the best way you can save face if you're Minnesota. You can say, look, C.J. McCollum, you know, he's a all-star caliber, you know, 20 points a game scorer. He's going to be the new, you know, backcourt guy to put alongside uh, Wiggins on the wing and then Towns uh, in the front court, like that. Like that's what, that's something you can sell to the fan base as, hey, this you know this was a disaster, but at least we got like a star level player out of it. Like that, like that. That's a that's a win for them. But like I I like I I don't I don't think they would walk away from that just because like Martel Webster's back was messed up eight years ago or whatever. I just I just always look at it and go, never underestimate the pettiness of the NBA. Yeah, but like. I mean, that was eight, that was that was eight years ago, and Instagram didn't even exist back then. The Suns, the Suns, the Suns traded Steve Nash to the Lakers. Like that's like that. This, this, True. This stuff happens. Like, like the like the the, 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 the Cavs, the Cavs traded Kyrie Irving to the Celtics after they had just played in the conference finals when that was, and they knew that that was the biggest threat to uh to to them in the in the in the playoffs in the East. Like they, like they're gonna take the best deal that's available to them. Well, I can't wait to see how this all turns out. And I, you got to think it's going to be soon. And then the question- I, I would be shocked if it wasn't within the next like 72 hours that a Jimmy yeah, trade gets. I, I was, was going to put it at 48. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to happen before the weekend was over. <laughs> and if you're making and if you're making me guess where he goes, I don't I, I don't have like inside information about this. If I had to guess, I think Miami is probably the team that does it. I think because I mean, the other yeah. thing is like I mean, you, you think about like, OK, maybe the Clippers, but like. If you're talking about, like, you know, teams besides, you know, I think the Portland thing is a long shot. I know they've been kind of talked about as a team that's interested. But out of the teams that, like, are seriously, you know, thought of as being really in the mix, Miami has the most – I made this point on Twitter earlier. Miami has the most incentive to actually not lowball them and actually give them a real offer because the Knicks and the Nets and the Clippers and all these other teams that might want to sign in Philly, whoever, they're all going to have cap space next summer. So they can all sit back and say, hey – we don't need to give up stuff for him because we can just go after him in the off season. And if he wanted to come here now, he might still be interested uh, next summer. Now, if you're, if you're the heat, like they're not going to have cap space next summer. They're kind of capped out. They have all these long-term deals with you know, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, Whiteside, Dragic, Kelly Olenek, like whoever they have, they have all these long-term deals on their books. They're not going to have cap space. The only way that they're going to be able to get a player of the caliber of a guy like Jimmy Butler is to trade for him. And so they kind of have to be like, you know, if we're going to take a swing and get a star like that, this is our chance to do it. And so they might be more inclined to actually step up and give a competitive offer. And the thing is, like with Miami being the landing spot, you've got Wade on his way out and Wade and Jimmy are tight. Marquette yes. guys play together in Chicago. They vacation together when Jimmy was got traded <laughs> to yeah. Minnesota. They're, um, they're, they're very close. Yeah. And then you throw in the fact that it's number one, it's Miami. Number yes. two, the money's better in, in Florida than anywhere else in the country. So right. you, you get Florida all the tax Texas. breaks. Florida and Texas yeah. both have no state tax. So, I mean, if you want to look at, like, all the reasons that stack up. And then basketball-wise, like, Miami's always kind of there. And, like, if you're playing for a Pat Riley franchise, I don't think you're ever going to have a team that's going to be out there where Jimmy's going to be like, you aren't competing enough. 
that's the thing and that and that's the thing like and whenever anybody asks me what the uh you know what what the source of all of this tension is between jimmy and some of the young guys I, you know, I covered Jimmy for four years in Chicago, and none of none of what's going on in Minnesota at all is surprising to me from the standpoint. I mean, j- the way that Jimmy's wired, Jimmy is like, you know, out of out of like the all star guys in the league, like like the all NBA type of like players. Jimmy is kind of unique in that he was the only one of these guys. Because if you look at who like the top players in the league, it's like you know Kevin Durant, LeBron, Steph Curry, you know Anthony Davis, whoever, all these guys, they were all like. So superstar recruits from the time they were like 12 years old. They were all like these huge AAU guys. Uh, they all had these huge scholarships. They were all high draft picks. Jimmy Butler played at junior college before he got the offer from Marquette. He was the 30th pick in the draft. And he basically worked his way up from being like a fringe role player to being, you know, a top 10 type of guy in the league, like an all NBA type of talent. And he was a 75th rated shooting guard in the state of Texas, his senior year of high school. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like he went from basically he went from basically like, and his whole like his whole upbringing. Like, you guys know a lot about his upbringing. He was basically homeless when he was a teenager, yeah. and then he basically worked his way up from that to being the level of NBA superstar that he is right now. And he looks around and he's like, "If I'm working this hard, why isn't everybody else working this hard?" And so he just he's kind of wired like Kobe in the sense that he works harder than anybody, and he doesn't really have patience for anybody who doesn't work as hard as he does. And so and, you know whether this is fair or not, when he sees Carl Anthony Towns playing Fortnite after a loss instead of watching film like like that's something that he doesn't really respect or, or have or have any patience for whether you know you can say what you want about like oh you know they're kids they want to play video games it's fine but like to Jimmy Butler it's not fine because he worked as hard as he did to get where he is and he just doesn't understand why everybody else can't work as hard as he can that's why he and Thibodeau are so tight because they're wired the exact same way and so you know you go to Miami like that that's exactly you, you know a, a good a good point about that because like Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra, like that whole that the whole quote unquote heat culture, like Udonis Haslam is still there as far as like like that's gonna be the kind of culture and the kind of environment that theoretically Jimmy's gonna thrive in. Yeah. I'm really anxious to see how Carl Anthony Towns plays next year. It'll you know I'm really anxious to see if like that unleashes him or if he just kinda continues on in the in the same vein as he goes now. But it, let's pivot back to the Blazers. Because I'm wondering, Sean, what you you touched super briefly on the Blazers offseason and how basically not a lot has changed for them. I'm wondering for you, what do you see as like the best case scenario and the worst case scenario? Not necessarily like number of games, but kind of like in terms of storylines. I mean, I think they could be a five, six, seven seed in the East or in the West, rather, where they're, you know, they make the playoffs there. I mean, I, th- I think I think I don't think they're going to have another run where they get to the third seed in the in the West. Like, I think it's pretty clear they're behind at this point. Golden State, Houston, Oklahoma City and Utah. And then probably the Lakers just because the Lakers have LeBron and for all the other stuff with the Lakers. They still have LeBron. So I'm going to put them ahead of the Blazers. But so I think I think they could either be in the mix for one of those last few playoff spots with teams like San Antonio or Denver or New Orleans or uh maybe Minnesota, probably not Minnesota, but like, like some, some of these other ones, or they could just miss the playoffs and, you know, they win, you know, 42, 43 games is a respectable record. And then, you know, get the ninth or 10th seed in the West. What do you think? And do you think that they, because one of the things I've been sort of fixated on the last few weeks um, is the trying to figure out <laughs> um, this the schemes that the Blazers have been playing consistently for like the last three years, like they've been playing, in my opinion, a very similar type of ball every year. Do you think that, you know, the fact that they didn't, you know, really bring in any, you know, big names or anything, do you think that signals that they're just going to keep rolling out the same thing? And my question for both of you is like, how long can you, do that before everybody goes, oh, we, we know exactly what the Blazers are doing. We don't even need to, like, look at the playbook anymore because they're playing <laughs> the same plays. Or is this somehow a benefit to have that much consistency? You want to take that one, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's um, – I think there's, there's a couple things at play here. Um, first of all, like, 
nobody complains about the, the the consistency or the lack of change if you're doing it while winning. Like nobody's like, oh, here goes Pop again, winning 55 games. What a jerk, you know. Um, but in the Blazers' case, because it's the the bars has been lower, you're you're not. Because I'm not like looking at it like this is this is wonderful thing but because they're stuck in personnel wise it's it's really limited to what they can do um i i wrote about it this week like a couple of different storylines going into this into preseason and i think this is where really the wrinkles are going to come from because stots is is fantastic for coming up with wrinkles and, and tweaks in the game plan to get the basically good to great results in getting the most out of players like the Blazers over the last couple of years, whether it was Mason Plumlee or Yusuf Nurkic, have had some of the best at-the-rim field goal percentage defense in the league. Like, the fact that you can do that with both Mason Plumlee and Yusuf Nurkic says, I think, more about the system than it does about those individual players to a, to a certain uh, respect. Wait, but wait, don't, with, wait, wait. I have a question for you on that, about the system between uh, Mason Plum, when Mason Plumlee was here and when Yusuf Nurkic was here. As I recall, mm-hmm. and maybe you can probably tell me this better, so I recall when Mason Plumley played for the Blazers, there were almost always two guys under the basket, and they were short a person on the perimeter because an extra person was playing under the basket. And one of the things that did change, one of the few changes that we've seen, is that Nurkic is now able to guard the basket by himself, so they have more people available to guard the perimeter. Am I yeah, I mean it, that, that's exactly what what happened. Was is I mean the, the difference is, is the Portland has one one it has and really through the entire Stotts era, wanted to take away two things: corner threes and shots at the rim. Um, obviously, there were other weaknesses when Plumlee was here, um, but they still found a way to, to defend at the rim, which is something that I mean they were the best in the league at by a, a long or a strong uh, differential last year. Um, but I think with kind of the storylines going into this season is. If, in fact, the Blazers are going to play Zach Collins at the five, if, in fact, they are going to play Maurice Harkless at the four, those are your bigger wrinkles this year because if that's the case, you're going to have a lineup out there that's going to have a bunch of guys that are between, what, Steph Cur- or Seth Curry, 6'1", 6'2", and then you have all the way up to Zach Collins at, at seven foot tall. And that sounds more like a lineup that's going to be doing some switching. Like, and that would be a huge swing from what we've seen from Portland's defense, uh, defensive, defensive principles in the past. And if they opt to go that way, I mean, that would be, you know, the, the most radical change I think I've seen in, in the Stotts era, save when they like really tried to push tempo really hard two years ago. And other than that, like, I think with, with Stotts, you're getting what you're getting. You're getting those successful results and they just find ways to do it uh, without, or by plugging in plugging in different personnel because the system is kind of what it is and it's been effective and successful. So so why really mess with it? But but you're thinking more switching might be the wrinkle this year, but it's not because our personnel has their their personnel has changed that dramatically. But they're now adding switching, and if they do add switching, that's a pretty big change, even though the personnel stayed pretty consistent. Yeah, just by, just by virtue of adding Collins, because Mason Plumlee tried to do that um, to some extent. I mean, he he was more than he was more much more willing than I'd, I'd say Yusuf Nurkic, which means you're going to have two different, very 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 different styles of defense if, between Nurkic and Collins. Collins is going to, in theory, offer you the flexibility to make something happen as far as switching on the perimeter, whereas Nurkic is going to be much more of the ice defense um, that we see, you know, or that we've seen for the last few years. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a, a lot too. Sean, what do you think about the uh, the continuity and just the way Coach adds wrinkles here and there or maybe might make a wholesale change? Well, there's just so many – how many changes can you make when the roster is going to stay the same as it is? Their hands are just kind of tied because of all the money that is tied up in all these contracts. There's not really a lot of moves that they could have made. I would have brought Ed Davis back, but – I mean, really, all they can do is, unless you're going to trade CJ and really, you know, make a huge change, all you can really do is bring this team back and hope that, you know, the continuity just kind of stays there and and, and they're and they're somehow better. Mm-hmm. Dan, I had a question for what? what? Dan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I oh. dare. I can always hear you. 
Well, you were, you were so quiet. You're so uncharacteristically I'm, quiet. I'm why? I'm not uncharacteristically quiet. I did. I've given mine, so I'm. This is gonna be the, this is gonna be the, the worst the... podcast for Dan to edit. I know, and I'm like, I don't know why Tara's deviating from what she normally does. When there's silence, she normally steps right in with another question. All right. <laughs> I think I'm leaving it there for you. Like, take it. Okay, I thought of another wrinkle that that Stotts might try this season, and here is what it is. I'm wondering what you guys think. So I was doing a piece about the Blazers' transition offense and just trying to figure out, okay, like how how little of their of it was there, <laughs> and trying to just see what the what stories the number told numbers told. So I was trying to figure out with the personnel that were lost this season, you know, Napier gone, Connaughton gone, a couple of guys who did participate in what little transition there was, like who's going to step in for for those um, and fill those roles. And I was watching Seth Curry from his year at Dallas, where he, of course, had his uh, most successful year, played the most games, and shot like 42% from three. Anyway, one of the things that I noticed in him, and he when he was in transition, really good at getting to his spot to shoot a really fast three. And as I watched him do it over and over again, you know, in the highlights or whatever, I thought, that looks a lot like Alan Crabb. And... I was oh, thinking God. that maybe last year one of the reasons that the transition numbers went down so dramatically is because Alan Crabb had been contributing in a way that we didn't have anybody to really exactly fill that role. What do you think of that idea? Well, I mean, that's, that's partially true because Crabb was one of their leading uh, point getters in transition because of, you know, just who he is athletically. I mean, Portland just doesn't have or hasn't had over the last few years anybody in that real 6'4 to 6'7, six, 6'8 six, rangy guy who could put the ball on the floor. Like the only guy who fits that particular skill set on the entire Blazers roster right now that you can like remotely count on in the open floor is Maurice Harkless. Alan Crabb was the only other guy before that who could really make that happen. So, yeah, I mean, that that's I think that's part of it. Um, as far as, as Curry is concerned, like he's – for – the entirety of, of his offensive purpose. I've seen a lot of people say that Shabazz is, you know, it's going to be tough to replace Shabazz. No, it's not. Like, I love Shabazz. I, I think his, he, was, he, was a, he was a nice player. I think he was playing for a contract on the way out. Um, that's why you saw some of his minutes and his effectiveness kind of fall off towards there at the end. Uh, I think that may be a concern with, with Seth Curry this year because he's basically doing the same thing. But I think already – just like on a baseline level, Seth is a better offensive version that, uh, than Shabazz. And I think that he will allow Portland to push the pace a little bit more if they want to, um, because he's he's much more of a threat from the three-point line and, and as just a, a shooter in general. And I think he's going to have a greener light than Shabazz with the second unit um, than Shabazz ever did. So the, the opportunity exists for him to, to both in the open court and in the half court, um, kind of push the pace a little bit and, and take shots pretty freely, um, especially with, with the second unit, if it is going to be something that's, you know, a flexible, more of a positionless unit. Um, uh, I think he's going to be the, the one on the floor who's going to be the, the primary um, shooter or play ender. So, yeah, I, I mean, being able to replicate those points or, or create the points that, that Alan Crabb at one point in time may or may not have brought to the Blazers, um, I don't think it's, yeah, it's too much of a stretch uh, for him to be able to do, but I don't think in the grand scheme of things, I mean, still, it's a, it's a Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum dominated offense, and on the back end, you've got Yusuf Nurkic, and Yusuf isn't running up and down the floor like Anthony Davis anytime soon, so I don't think it, Portland's ever going to be up there in the um, the points per game in transition, but I think they will always find a way to be a like points per possession um, up there towards the top of the league. Uh, so when they get their opportunities, they'll capitalize on them, but they don't create them and they don't really look to find them all that often. But if you wanted to look for the, the, the candidate that most likely, it's going to be Harkless because if you put Harkless at the four, then, yeah, there should be a mismatch for him. And that's where I think the people who really want to see Harkless do well this season, that's where he has the opportunity to shine is if he is playing uh, at that stretch position or flex position, and he's given the opportunity to run the floor and, and take another bigger, maybe slower lumbering guy at the four out of position. Um, 
either in the open court or in just, you know, off of even a made basket, then I think that that's an opportunity more so than even for Seth Curry. Yeah, Harkless was definitely involved in a lot of them. Um, but one more thing that, that you just brought up that I'll point out is when I was looking at the numbers two years ago, and that would have been when Crab was on the team, their points per possession were actually quite high in the league. That was like mm -hmm. everything was, you know, bottom 10 or almost <coughs> all of it was bottom five, except for two years ago, the field goal percentage and the points per possession was a lot higher. And I, I like, just as I was wrapping it up, I was like, I wonder if that was because that was uh, Alan Crab and he just had more success two years ago than the players from last year. I mean, that, that's, that's basically it right there. I mean, you've got a guy who um, is a 40% three-point shooter. It isn't, and, and, you know, his opportunities are more, mostly coming from, you know, either, you know, down screens in the half court or from transition. And in those, in those moments, that's where, you know, he's going to capitalize. Sean, what do you think? Your turn. Uh, what, what are the Blazers going to show us in, uh, in terms of play types or new wrinkles that they might add next season? I mean, I think it's. I think the transition thing is huge. Like they, they just haven't had anybody like that. And I mean, I think what, like what you were saying as far as you know, Seth Curry maybe being the guy that could come in and give them kind of that look that they haven't had the last couple of years, or at least they haven't really had since Alan Crabb uh, left. Like that, I think that's the main thing I'm going to be looking for. Otherwise, I'm really not sure how what I can see as far as like changes they can really make given the personnel that they have. Sauce Castillo ain't running the break anytime soon. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, like, like I, do, I mean, don't be wrong. I, I love me some sauce, but like, I, I, if anybody's looking for that, yeah, stop. <laughs> yeah, and well, I'm, well. I'm not looking for a, you know, a, a huge increase, at least in attempts or in percentage of uh, plays, you know, coming from transition. That's just not how this team has ever been since Stotts took over, and since before that. It's not how it's built. It's not how it's built. Like, there's nobody on this team. Like, the closest thing they've had to a guy who likes to get out and push pace or has the ability to push pace and, and create his own turnovers, the last time Portland had anybody like that was Nick Batum. He was the the only guy. Like, I love Wes. I love Brandon Roy's my favorite blazer of all time. Neither one of those guys were guys that really pushed the pace. <laughs> I mean, you get a point guard in Steve Blake not pushing the pace. Andre Miller Andre not Miller. pushing the pace. Yeah. Like, you, this is... The guys that Portland has brought in over like the last decade, none of them push pace. Do you guys know the last just how time they built. the last time the Blazers were in the top ten in transition or in fast break points? Had to be like in the early two thousands, like Damon Stoudemire, right? Yeah, yeah, two thousand four or five. Yeah, that sounds. About oh right. God, that team! There was um, in that the, was a fun team. Uh, they were number nine. Good yeah. God. <laughs> that, that, that team, that's probably the only way that team scored. Okay, Sean, I have another question for you that's very important uh, to this okay. podcast, how you answer. Very, very okay. important. Um, and this is about the future of Zach Collins. Um, is he going to be more like Rasheed Wallace or Kevin McHale? Dan wants to know. <laughs> Is he ever going to get 41 technical fouls in a season? That's what I want to know. All right, he's a little if gritty. He, if he did that, I would reverse my position on Zach Collins. <laughs> you would be showing up like, and bringing him his coffee every morning. Uh, is he going <laughs> to threaten a referee out in the loading dock <laughs> after a game? I'm just going to go with towel I, in somebody's I, face. I get, I, get, I get what you're going for with this question, but nobody's ever going to be like Rasheed Wallace. <sighs> Yeah, no. Uh, but seriously, though, what do you uh, what what do you think that we might see? What's a reasonable expectation do you think for next year from Zach Collins? You know, given I think the major change of no Ed Davis, I think he's pretty clearly a rotation big at the very least. Like, I think I think he's a guy you 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 saw during the New Orleans series. He did a better job of staying on the floor against Anthony Davis than pretty much anybody else in the front court that they that they had out there. You know, he's he's a guy. Obviously, he's a rookie. He's still you know getting better. He's gonna still make some mistakes. He or he was a rookie last year, rather. Uh, like, but I, I think I think he's a guy who has looked at times like he belongs out there in the NBA. He can step out and shoot it a little bit. I I think he's. I don't know if you can say, oh, you know, this is definitely your starting center going forward. But I think he's at least a, you know a third big. Uh, uh, you know, you could comfortably throw him out there and say, okay, he can be he can be your third big. 
third big as in uh, as in all bigs or third big as in center? No, as in all bigs. Okay. No, as in all bigs. Okay. So that's pretty. And he, and he could be. And he could become. He could become a starter too. Yeah, and all this talk about let's see, what did they say that they were going to use him for over the summer? One of the earlier press conference was that they were going to use him more down to low the on the block. Yeah, that- they, it, they said they were going to put him closer to the rim. That was that was the thought. They, they didn't really specify anything more than that. But I, what do you think the with tea the that- say about that, Sean? Well, I mean, they think I think when you have a center who can step out and hit a three, like that's the way the league is going. Unless they want to just completely zig while everybody else is zagging, like you, you kind of have to let him play to his strengths a little bit. So I'll be interested to see what they, uh, you know, whether they actually stick to that or whether you know they. It's one of those things where, like, they say, you know, the first couple weeks of the season, oh yeah, we're going to play him closer to the rim, and then you know, as the season goes on, they just kind of drift back out to what he was normally doing. I, I really liked what you said earlier, Dan. Like, and like I said, I've been thinking about it a lot. The fact that they have two, they're going to have two really different styles of play, probably uh, based on their center. You know, they're going to have the the Yusuf Nurkic lineup, and then when mm-hmm. Zach Collins come on, they're going to be really doing something different. And I guess uh, it's going to be predicted on you know who they're playing, whether or not you know they want to use it you know Myers Leonard as another big body to come in after Nurkic to play that style or you know I guess Zach Collins and maybe somebody else playing another small center I don't know I think it'll be interesting to have different options yeah they have different options but they're also like really limited because the only two like quote-unquote centers they have are Yusuf Nurkic and Myers Leonard Mm -hmm. now you could you could say that the Collins can in theory play it sure fine okay um, beyond that, like the next big is Caleb Swanigan and Jake Lehman. Like that's, that is your front court there. So you've got some mix and match, like some different styles, some distinctly different styles, but you're limited in how you can mix and match them. Um, and so I think that those are going to be like the, the, the big unique storylines, I think for the season, um, because they are so the depth is so shallow there. Um, but I just want to kind of wrap this one up cause we were going a little long with, with how, Technology is working right now, but I want to get to the media day stuff because I know Sean, you're going to be there tomorrow. That um, is the plan. What are what are the what are the things that you look forward to from not just this media day, but like media day in general? Like, do you like a, do you sit there with with, with like, like a, a bingo board counting all the cliches or? Oh, absolutely. Who, who's in the best <laughs> shape of their life? Who's who's really you know? Who's, my, my, my favorite one is everybody saying like, oh, I worked on my three point shot this summer. Like every big man says that or every, you know, every like, like, like or, you know, every every single like thing is like is is, is like, you know, there, there's, so, there's so many that you can say like, oh, uh, you know, I'm just really happy to be in this situation. It's just like, you know, the, the NBA draft combine, which is an event I cover every year. There's like cliches where like every team's beat writer is going to ask how they think they'd fit in with this team. And the answer is always, oh, I think I'd fit in great with that team. There's just certain standbys that you're always going to see at uh, training camp. Like, you know, we're, you know, we, we just we just think we're really going to, you know, I'm going to really take the leap this year. Or, you know, I, I'm, I, I put on this much muscle, you know, mu- muscle watch, shout out Lane Whitaker. Like that's, that, that's always a big thing. <laughs> Do you have a go-to right, question so, on Media Day? Yeah, that's exactly no, what I, I was actually, ask. I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not really out here asking like like those types. Of, like I, I like I'll always like if I have somebody that's like I'm trying to write about that I have a specific thing to ask, and that's kind of more the direction I go. I'm not really big on asking questions in the big you know group sessions. Who asks uh, the best um, ones? Yeah. I haven't been to I haven't been to a to a Blazers media day yet actually like my, the the previous media days I've been in Chicago so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Oh yeah, you can com- compare and see who yeah. has better food and who's faster and more efficient getting everybody in yeah, and out. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. So when you look at it at tomorrow and again we're, we're recording Sunday night here, so media day is tomorrow morning. Um, what what are what are the things that you're hoping to gain from um, the first real media availability of this team this year? 
honestly just some sense of you know what what the plan is as far as you know are they going to just you know we were talking about the continuity earlier and i mean obviously terry's not going to talk about you know strategy or, or, or lineups in the first day of training camp but i want to know what their what their plan is like do they really think just you know we're going to run this back you know this this team that we have this year is going to be you know i i, I want to know kind of what they think about you know the 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 how competitive the East or the West is still is still, you know, after, you know, especially with, you know, with LeBron coming to the Lakers, all this kind of stuff, like, and, you know, these moves that everybody else made, like, I'm just, I want to, I really want to see how they see themselves. And it's like, do they really think they're going to be the three seed again, if they just keep the same team together? Or uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just really curious to see how Neil O'Shea tries to spin it. I bet I wouldn't be surprised if we heard from the players still smarting from the playoffs no from the playoffs i think that i think that really that (laughs) i think the way that the season ended you know had a huge impact on them and i hope every one of them comes out saying we got a lot to prove after what happened in the playoffs last year i hope everyone i mean i'm guessing that those guys are so competitive that they probably been thinking about that all summer i wonder if they mentioned it yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they will. You know, there, I mean, there's there's always like if you want to talk about just like questions you want to ask guys about the summer, there's always there's all this weird stuff with Dame or just the funny stuff with like the breaking news about different reporters going to the athletic or you know his workout videos that he like posted as like a parody of the workout videos or like CJ's podcast thing with Kevin Durant and all that. All like there, there, there's going to be more lighthearted stuff that you know media day is kind of the time to to get all that stuff out of the way before everybody's really just focused on basketball. I remember a couple years ago, it wasn't on media day, but it was like on the first um, court side or, you know, the show that uh, that they would host once a week throughout the summer and they'd get uh, coaches or whatever to come on. And the one right before media day, this totally stuck in my head. They had Terry Stotts on and they were like, what are you going to work on this year, coach? And this and he said that they were going to work on defense. And he said super casually, he said, we're going to work on going under screens some more. We're going to do some switching. We're going to stay in our shell, which I imagine are probably three, like, pretty standard things. But for some reason, that really stuck with me because they were, like, super specific. And those were actually things that I saw develop throughout the year. So I hang on, like, every word that Stott says because I think that he absolutely – says things exactly like they're so straightforward that you just almost kind of think well duh but then like they actually are what he goes out and does like the one i think he He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't like he doesn't like to give away too much of his game plan though like there will be times where you know we'll be at a game and you know say so who's starting tonight and he just like won't even tip his hand Mm -hmm. even if it's like the most obvious thing he he kind of reminds me of tom thibodeau in that way he would just hate like he thinks that just like answering routine questions before uh, a game is like giving away strategy as if the other team hasn't already like gone through the whole <laughs> scouting report on your team and isn't ready for whatever. Doesn't have everything available to call up on their iPad right, exactly. like, immediately. Right, exactly. Well, yeah. But I remember a couple of years ago, too, uh, one night before the Blazers played Golden State. And this was a game that the Blazers ended up coming out and, like, beating the socks off them. It was, like, a January game or something. Um, And somebody said, Coach, what's the key to winning this game? And he goes, well, we're going to outscore them. But, like, that's exactly what he meant. But it was so clear that what he meant by that is, like, we're putting our entire offense out there and, you know, defense will happen when it happens, but we're concentrating on just racking up as many points, more points than they are, which I thought was, like – it sounded like such a not actual answer, but I think that was exactly what his plan was. Troll right. Stotts is my favorite Stotts. <laughs> Dan, are you? Yeah, no, he's he he has that sign. Oh but, no, he he can he can flip into the, the into the Belichickian curmudgeon better than almost any coach in the league. Like Tibbs has the crown. There's there's, there's no doubt about it. Well, and that's then, just how uh, Tim is like for real. Yeah. That's what I mean. And Pops is more of a gimmick than anything else. But Stott yeah. knows how to turn it on. I, the end of, you know, there was a little consternation at the end of the season, some in the middle of the season about Stotts's position. I'm looking around and seeing what's going on in Minnesota, and I'm suddenly not that worried about Stotts. <laughs> um, 
Do you guys think Tibbs keeps stays sticks around? Timberwolves. I think he'll. I think. I think he'll. St- I think he'll coach the rest of the season and then he's gone so? next summer. Yeah. Well, because what are they going to gain from firing him now? Like this is this whole thing is such a mess. If Not, you're going to fire him, you do it. You do it today or like tomorrow. Yeah, you right do it now. Trade Jimmy. That's I, when you do it. You don't go into the season and then oh they got off to this kind of underwhelming start when there was all this drama. Now we're going to like no. I I think he's going to last. This coming, I think he's going to coach this whole season, and then he's going to, and then he's going to get fired. Like the day, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those ones because, like, they're because they're not going to make the playoffs. Like, you know, you know how, like, when, you know, this, this year, like, the night that uh, of the last night of the regular season, like, the last game ends, and then, you know, oh, Jeff Hornacek gets fired by uh, by the Knicks, and then Frank Vogel gets hot, gets fired by Orlando. Like, like he, I, Tibbs, I think, is going to be like one of those first ones, like, right at the end of the regular season. It's going to be the, uh, the the tweet that's going to be already scheduled tweet ready to go. Like from Woj? Yeah. 11.59 p.m. Yeah. I just, I just, has been fired. I just can't believe in the, with the state of things and with him being both the general manager and the coach and having. They're his... going to strip that title away. They're going to strip the GM title away. They, I mean, this whole met, this whole thing is just, and this is the point I've been hammering over and over again the last few days. This is like this whole mess that the Timberwolves are in is why you cannot make the coach also have personnel control. Because, yeah. you know, if you're a coach, especially when you're a guy like Tom Thibodeau, whose entire coaching philosophy is we have to do every single thing and like put every single thing out there every single night. When you're a coach, your job is to win that day with the players you have. When you're the GM, your job is to be like, oh, well, what's our draft pick situation? What's our cap situation? Like, what's our long-term outlook going to be? They're opposite jobs. And the other part of it is that, you know, when you have, you know, a a player that, you know, you see every day in practice as the coach, you're so emotionally invested in them that even when you should trade them. Like, I I remember this, uh, my first year covering the Bulls in 2013-14, the year that Derrick Rose tore the meniscus in, in like 10 games into the season, like it was pretty clear, like they weren't going to contend that year after that injury happened. And so in January, they traded the wall of dang to the Cavaliers. And you could just tell the next morning at shoot around Tibbs was so just demoralized about like, the trade. And he was saying like, Oh, well, you know, it's a business. We have to, you know, we have to put the best, like you could tell he just was not happy about the trade. Objectively, it was exactly the right trade to make because you know they had to get another luxury tax. He was going to leave that summer anyway. Like it was, a, it was a smart trade to make at the time. But if Tibbs had been the one making the trade, he wouldn't have made the trade because he's too attached to Luol Deng. And so you just you can't have unless unless it's a situation like the Spurs. Like the Spurs are such an exceptional case because basically Pop just sits back and is like completely trusts R.C. Buford to do the day-to-day stuff, and then Pop just has a say in things before they pull the trigger on stuff. That's the only way that can work. But if you look at, like, how it went with Stan Van Gundy in Detroit, how it went with Doc Rivers in with the Clippers, how it went with Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta before he before they brought in Travis Schlenk last year, like, it's... Like, you just... You can't have the coach also have personnel control. And I think this whole Tibbs thing... Maybe Tibbs, st- you know, stays as the coach and... You know, the Woj uh, story from yesterday said that, you know, Glenn Taylor had been thinking about, you know, firing Scott Layden and, you know, making some changes in the front office. If Tibbs is going to stay on, you have to strip him of the personnel control, but is he going to be willing to do that? I don't know. It's going to be a whole thing to see. It is going to be a whole thing to see. And I, like I said earlier, my heart and sympathies are with the Timberwolves fans because, I mean, they were, <laughs> they should have been, you know, flying high after making the playoffs. And it's just one of those things, a reminder about how quickly things can change. And, you know, like that old yeah. there but for fortune go you or I, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I took, I took the under on the Blazers. With this deal, if it, if it does go through and Butler goes to the Eastern Conference, I'm going to regret taking the under because that's, sure, that's yeah. a couple more. That's a couple more wins for Portland at the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one team might not be so competitive in the Northwest Conference. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Then there's the other three that the Blazers still have to contend with. Well, <laughs> we should probably should we go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, Dan, yeah. any other questions for Sean while we've got him? No, no, nothing that I can say on air. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's kind of that kind of sums up our, my relationship with Dan. <laughs> yeah, we, we 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 talk about a lot of stuff. Not, not nothing you can say on air. Yeah. <laughs> All right then. Well, uh, Sean, you want to tell folks how they can find your work? 
Yeah, um, follow me on Twitter at Hyken, which is just my last name, H-I-G-H-K-I-N. Everything I tweet I, or everything I write, you know, I'm going to tweet it out. So you just, 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 just catch me on there. I'll be around. And I'll be at Media Day tomorrow tweeting out quotes and pictures and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can also find the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. And that's about all the exciting. Oh, I just um, uh, finalized all of the dates for the upcoming Women's Hoops and Talks meetups yes. for the entire season. So um, I've got those on Twitter and I'm about ready to start pushing out some more information about the first one is going to be on October 27th. The Blazers are taking on Miami, so there will be more information coming out, and we're going to get together and watch the first uh, Women's Hoops and Talks meetup game of the season coming up soon. Dan, take us out of here. All right, folks, you can find me on Twitter at DMarang, on Instagram, everywhere else for your social media needs, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. You can also find me, Joe Simon, Shane Brennan, every game night, pre- and post-game show on NBC Sports Northwest. Um, we've got some cool stuff coming up. Again, I can't talk about it until we make the official announcement, but uh, look for some stuff heading into the preseason here. Um, other than that, just want to thank Sean for joining us. Uh, we'll have some more stuff, obviously, from Media Day tomorrow. Um, in the meantime, folks, stay tuned. We'll have some more stuff coming up as we head into the season. Thanks for listening. Bye.